The Old Testament has a whole bunch of kings. You've got Solomon, who's the son of King David, who is like the poster boy king. And on his deathbed, he tells little boy Solomon, do good stuff like your dad. Also, avenge my death. So Solomon prays to God for wisdom and God's like, that's a dope idea. So Solomon gets really wise and rich and he writes a book called Proverbs, which is basically like Twitter, but without all the Russian bots. But then eventually Solomon does some stuff that's less wise. There's greed and lust for power. He starts worshipping gold cows and that ends badly. Then you get his son Rehoboam, who again does the whole greed, lust of power thing. Then because of that, the whole country of Israel splits apart, which is obviously not ideal. He also does the whole gold cows thing again. But then a while later, you get Hezekiah and you think, all right, this guy's not so bad. Then you get Josiah who realises that a lot of the kings have done some really stupid stuff and we all need to stop with the whole gold cow thing. Leaders provide us with a model, whether as an example or a cautionary tale. So what can we learn from the kings of the Old Testament? Good evening. Um, I love that video. Big shout out to the media team, to Matt Miles, to uh, Maisie who put that together, Maisie Bonnard. And Laura Heads, amazing stuff. Love it. And Tristan Bid, all of them, all the creative people, they're great. Um, we are on week three of our series, The Crown, uh, looking at the kings of the Old Testament and asking what can we learn uh, from their lives for ourselves. So Chloe started us off two weeks ago um, looking at the life of Rehoboam, asking uh, how do we make good decisions? How do we make wise decisions? Um, and she told us that uh, we need to take time out. We also need to set a deadline um, before we make decisions and then seek wise counsel. And unfortunately, uh, the example of Rehoboam is kind of the how not to do it example. He makes a, a really, really bad decision, so bad that the nation of Israel splits in two, which isn't ideal. Um, and, uh, and we go on from there a few kings down the line, and then we come along to uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is next. And Matt Price last week uh, talked us through the life of Hezekiah. He was a really good king. He was a great king, uh, one of the best. And from Hezekiah, we learn um, that our actions have consequences. Matt explained that um, through Hezekiah's life, we see that as someone who uh, followed God, who didn't stray to the left or the right, who uh, took down the places where idols were worshipped, Hezekiah himself reaped the positive consequences. However, we know that in our lives, the negative actions, the things we do wrong, when we make bad decisions like Rehoboam, we see the negative consequences. And Matt really helpfully just explained that... um, that sometimes uh, suffering is a consequence of our sin, and sometimes suffering is just a coincidence that isn't related to our sin. And I, I think that's a really helpful, uh, just helping tease some of that stuff out. So go back, watch those talks if you weren't here, if you didn't see them. And then that takes us on um, a few more kings down the line to the guy tonight, a guy called Josiah. Now, I like Josiah. I was really loving it when I found out I was preaching on Josiah. His name is a lot more pronounceable than Hezekiah and Rehoboam, which is great. He also was eight years old when he became king, um, which I found really funny. I giggled about that for some time. I actually got my family to send me a photo of me when I was uh, somewhere near eight years old. Ben, have we got that photo? This is me five or six, actually, instead. But I want you to imagine this little fella put a big crown on his head, 
sit him in a big throne and tell him to run a nation. How funny would that be? This guy would have free sweets for everyone, um, extra playtime for everyone. Israel would have been the most fun nation to live in at the time. But anyway, so Josiah, we can take that off now. That's, that's enough. Um, they sent me like 25 photos of Sam. There's so many. Uh, Josiah, we can really take it off then, seriously. Um, <laughs> Josiah uh, was a really, really good king. Um, he, he was really known for being a change-making king. He was a guy who really got stuff done. He brought about reform. Think about him as the Barack Obama king. He kind of, I imagine he ruled with his thumbs over his fists like this, pointing at things like Obama does, getting change done everywhere he went. He was a remarkable guy who in his life managed to change the nation of Judah really, really significantly. And I think that's really helpful for us at this point in the series to look at his life. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear Chloe talking about making really good decisions, and I hear Matt talking about positive consequences from positive actions, I think I want to make good decisions, and I want to reap the positive consequences from my actions, but I know that there's things in my life I need to change to do that, and change is really hard. Am I right? Change is hard. I don't know how many of you, um, maybe you thought, in April, May, we're thinking, time to get, you know, fit for summer, time to lose a couple of pounds, the holiday's coming up. And you thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it right, I'm going to go to the gym every day, I'm going to run, no processed sugar. That's the big one, isn't it? No processed sugar. We're not eating processed sugar anymore. Turns out ice cream tastes really good in the summer, and beer's good on a warm day. Um, and soon enough, your decision... And trying to make a change doesn't quite happen. It's August, winter's coming. We're thinking, I can just let that winter layer settle in now, can't I? Get the reserves in now. It's too late to change anything. Change is really hard. And so it's a great time, I think, to look at this guy who was able to bring change to his country and ask, how do we do it? How do we make changes that actually last? And uh, to do that, we're going to read through um, his life. In, in, you find it in 2 Kings, chapters 22 and 23. And where we'll pick up the story when we read it in a moment is he's just ordered uh, the people that are working in the temple. They've sort of done a, a big spring clean of the temple. He's asked them to gather up all the money um, that the temple collects to make sure everyone's paid the right amount to sort out the temple just to get all their affairs into order. And while they're doing that, they stumble across this book. Um, and so we'll read, we'll skip the, the map, don't worry about that, and we'll read uh, the passage. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shapham, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shapham, who read it. Then Shapham, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. And Shapham, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shapham read from it, in, from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now, we haven't got much context for this at the moment, um, but this is kind of interesting. You'll see in a minute that I was really surprised when I first read that, that the king's reaction to hearing the words of the book of the law or kind of the Jewish Bible being read aloud caused such a big reaction from King Josiah. Because King Josiah has come in off the back of a load of really, really bad kings. 
It's, it's not gone well for, uh, for the country at all. Um, as we heard, after Rehoboam, Burm, the country split in two. Um, you have the northern tribes of Israel. They are soon taken over um, and they're sent into exile. The southern kingdom of Judah, with just two tribes, uh, remains. But again, they have a sequence of really bad kings following on from Hezekiah. In fact, the guy that came before Josiah was the worst king. He was awful. He was a man called Manasseh, uh, King Manasseh. He was seriously, seriously bad. They had always, kind of throughout Israel's history, developed these practices of worshipping idols, but Manasseh just stepped up in a really horrible way. Uh, he worshipped the god of Molech, and he believed that God, uh, of the god of God Molech demanded child sacrifices. So he actually sacrificed his own sons, and this was a practice he established in Israel, in, in Judah. So Judah is in a really bad way. In fact, um, the kind of Jewish tradition says that it was Manasseh who killed the prophet Isaiah. And it's kind of Game of Thrones brutal. He says the, the tradition says that he put him in a hollowed out cedar t- tree trunk and got two carpenters to cut the tree in half with a big saw. This is gruesome. This is not a nice guy. And so when I read this and I see that Josiah is kind of shocked when he reads the book of the law, he, he, he sees this Bible, reads in it, and he's shocked. And he says, wow, we're terrible. We're doing such bad things. I'm like, yeah? You're king before you saw the guy in half. You think things are bad. You're, you're, you're committing these atrocious crimes. And you think, surely King Josiah knew that changes need to be made. Surely King Josiah knew before this that something needs to change. But actually, the more I think about it, the more I realize how easily that can happen. Now Israel, over the course um, of many kings, stepped up in the kind of ways that they had gone wrong. They started off worshipping idols, worshipping false gods. They started up setting up places to sacrifice to, the, to these idols. They started up giving sacrifice, and eventually you end up in a place where you don't even realise it, but you're, you're committing child sacrifice. And obviously, no, none of us here are, are doing that, but in our lives, we do find ourselves... I know, I, I, sometimes I have a realization that, wow, I've just let this little habit in my life slowly snowball and develop over time. And I don't even realize that I need to make a change. There are so many things in our lives that actually they can take hold and they start off as something small. But over time it grows and it grows and it grows until we're faced with this really big problem. And so the first question I want to ask from the life of Josiah, if this guy was shocked and he had this sudden realization of, wow, I need to change things to the point where he tears his clothes, how do we know when we need to make changes? How do you know when something needs to change, right? Because if we're going to make changes, we need to know when that thing needs to be changed. That makes sense. And the first thing we read, we learn from Josiah's life is the really important thing, the thing that sets this whole Uh, sequence of events in motion is that he reads the book of the law. He reads the Bible. They do the spring clean of the temple. Um, They literally just find it, kind of lying around. Some people think it was hidden by previous kings, but they find this book of the law. It was probably um, the Jewish Bible, the Torah, um, probably Deuteronomy, which is like the guide of how to live a good life that pleases God. And they find it, and they bring it, and they read it to Josiah. And he has this moment when he reads uh, the Bible, and he has this realization of, I have drifted so far from where God wants me to be. 
he has this realization of, I have to make some serious changes. And it's dusting the Bible off, and it's opening it back out, blowing off the cobwebs and reading it, that makes Josiah realize that there are changes that he needs to make. And I wonder, actually, for us, how many of us, the Bible has been lost down the back of the sofa? That actually, we need to blow the dust off it a little bit. Actually, it's been a while since we got it open and allowed it to speak to us and convict us of the things that we need to change in our lives. And the reason I think, honestly, I think the Bible is, is the most important factor here in helping us realize the things in our lives that we need to make changes on, because it is unchanging truth. When I say that, I mean there's all these different things in our world that tell us this is what you should change. These are the things that you need to change. We get it all the time. This is the latest app you need to download. This is the latest diet you need to do. This is the latest lifestyle thing. Have you heard about this exercise? Everyone should be doing this exercise. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing mindfulness. You need to be spending time doing this. All around us, there are all these different voices saying, change this, change this about yourself. Change this about your lifestyle. Do this, do this, do this. You get pulled in loads of different directions. I love a fad. I love a fad. Any fad that I can get hold of, I'll do it. Which means... I end up making lots of tiny changes in my life that don't amount to anything. I waste a whole lot of time trying to change myself to things that don't last, things that don't have weight, things that don't have substance. What I really need is I just need to have an unchanging truth, a true north on my compass that I can come back to. That's what the Bible is for Josiah. He reads it, and he has this realization of this is where God wants us to be, and we are so far away. And that's what we need in our lives, is that anchor for us that we can turn to and say, am I where God wants me to be? Rather than looking around, trying to to find hints in society all around us, the latest trend, the latest fad, are you reading the Bible? Are you allowing it to convict you? Is it your true north, your, your compass to tell you where you are going wrong and where you need to change? So Josiah has the Bible read to him, and, and it makes him realize he needs to change something. And so he goes to his mates. Um, in the next passage we read about, uh, it says, he gave the order to Hilkai, the, the priest, Ahakim, son of Shapham, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shapham, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant. Go and acquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written concerning us. Hilkai the priest, Ahakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Ha-Has, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. Um, So... The next thing that Josiah does is he goes to his boys. These Hilkai, Ahakim, Akbor, Shaphan, Asiah, the lads. He goes to his guys and he says, boys, I need help. I've got it horribly wrong. We've messed up somewhere. Can you help me work out what the Bible is telling us we need to change? And it's a, it's a funny point. I, I kind of a, I had a long time just imagining what these guys would be like, what they would do on their days off, how they hung out, that sort of thing. But actually, do you have people in your life? Do you have a Hilkai, an Akam, an Akbor, who you can turn to and say, am I getting it wrong? Where am I going wrong? Where do I need to make changes? 
Who are the people in your life that you're accountable to? Who are the people that are going to call you out when you're getting it wrong? Who are your friends that you're surrounded with who can actually say, you're better than this? I know you need to change this because I want better for you than what you've currently got. These are the guys that Josiah goes to. They're really, really important to him. And they go and they go speak to uh, the prophet Huldah. She sounds great. Um, She lives in the new quarter of Jerusalem, which to me sounds like the hipster part of town where the artisan bakery is and the best ancient eats lattes, all that stuff, the new quarter of Jerusalem. Um, She's also the keeper of the wardrobe. I think they were right to go to a keeper of the wardrobe for advice. Who here needs a keeper of the wardrobe for advice? I know I seriously do. Anyway, they go to her, and she is a prophetess. She is um, a woman of real wisdom. She can interpret and and speak God's voice into their situation. These guys realize, actually, alone, they can't quite work this out. And so they need to go to someone who is wiser than them. And I think Chloe touched on this in her talk really helpfully, that actually we need those people around us who can speak into our situations. People who are older, wiser, a little more life experience. So if uh, the previous group, the, the lads, are sort of our, our friendship group, maybe um, a new place, a place for you to start with that would be a midweek hub that we want um, our midweeks group that start again in September to be places where we can be accountable to each other as friends, where we can challenge each other about this stuff. Maybe uh, our holder is a mentor. We're really crazy about mentoring at Metro. We want everyone that's part of our community uh, to, if they want to have a mentor who, who they can do this stuff with, who they can go to and say, what, what am I getting right here and what do I need to work on? I know that with my mentor, quite a lot, probably too much of our mentoring sessions is me being stopped saying, is, is that such a good idea? And I'll carry on. Are you sure about that? I, I don't think that's a great idea. And it's super helpful for me because I have blind spots and I don't know the things that I'm getting wrong. I need people who are wiser, who, uh, who know God, who can speak into my life with authority to say, here's some things that you need to change. That's what Josiah has. Not only does he have the Bible, um, which helps him know what he needs to change, he also has accountability. Accountability uh, to people around him and to people that are wiser than him. But maybe you're saying, actually, my problem isn't that I don't know what I need to change. In fact, I am painfully aware of what I need to change. I am aware all the time of where I'm not getting it right, of the mistakes I'm making, of where I need to be better. What I need to know is how do I make these changes stick? What do I do to not just recognize the places where I'm falling short, but actually do something so that when I try and make a change, it lasts? And luckily, we see Josiah as someone who can really do that. We read on um, a bit in his story when uh, the prophet speaks to him. And she said this. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord, When you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, they have become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, 
I also have heard you, declares the Lord. It's this last bit that I want to focus on here. The prophet, uh, she speaks into the situation and says, actually, this is the reality for you. It's not going to end well. But then she commends Josiah for saying that he did. It says, you tore your clothes and wept in my presence. Now, tearing clothes in those days was a, a sign. Um, it was sort of the, um, just the accepted thing that happened in that culture. When you were mourning, when you were sorrowful, when you were ashamed, um, you would tear your clothes, and it would be a symbol to everyone that oh, this is not okay, that actually um, I'm, I'm mourning, I'm sad, or I'm ashamed. And so what Josiah is doing here is he is telling the whole nation uh, of Israel, of Judah, that something needs to change here. It's the outward sign that says, this isn't okay. We need to do something different. But what's really interesting is he goes one step further. He doesn't just tear his robes. It says, you wept in my presence. He wept in the presence of the Lord. And I think to understand why this is really important, um, it's helpful to read another bit of the Bible um, from a book called Joel. This is a prophet that was telling people basically how to come back into relationship with God, which is kind of helpful for today's talk. And we see Joel talking about it, and he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Joel here says, It's not your garments that the Lord wants you to tear. It's a rendered heart. It's a broken heart. And that's what we see with Josiah. He tears his robes and the whole nation can see that the king is upset. But that's not what brings real change. It's that he wept in the presence of the Lord. That his heart was changed. This wasn't a surface level cosmetic, let me show everyone how much I want to change sort of thing. This was a deep within me weeping in the presence of God because his heart is broken at the situation they find themselves in. I wonder for us, maybe the changes that we make don't stick because they're not changes coming deep from within us. They're just cosmetic. I wonder maybe uh, you said a change that I want to make is I want to spend time with God in the morning. I want to prioritize time with Jesus in the morning. So you wake up really early and you make yourself a coffee and you set your Bible down on the desk and you notice the lighting is really good in the room in the morning. So you do like a vertical shot of your coffee and your Bible and you put it on Instagram. It's like hashtag time with Jesus, hashtag all I need is coffee and Jesus. And you feel really good and it's like, look everyone, I'm changed. I'm, I'm so in love with Jesus. This is great. I'm a new person. And then the next day comes, the alarm goes off, and you snooze it. And the next day, and you snooze it, and, and nothing really changes. Because actually, you're, you're tearing your garments to show everyone, look, I'm making changes, but your heart's not been changed. Maybe you know that you need to change your attitude to drinking. You know that that's a problem for you, and, and you make a change. You, you tear your garments, and you say, in front of all my churchy friends, I'm not going to drink. When we go to the pub after church... I'm not going to drink. I'm going to have a Diet Coke. And everyone's going to see how much I'm changing. But then actually, Friday night comes, you're with your workmates. They're getting the round in, and you have one, two, and then after a while, it's too many. How many of us, we try and make changes in our lives, but they don't stick because we're tearing our clothes, but our hearts aren't being changed. The truth we see in Josiah is that lasting change comes from a changed heart. 
People who want to make changes to score Christian points have torn clothes. People that want to make changes because they love God and they desire intimacy with God have torn hearts. And that torn heart, it comes not from trying to impress people, not from worrying what other people think. It comes because we know that our actions, when we don't get it right, come between us and God. We know that when we don't get it right, our actions, they they impede our intimacy with God that we've been created for. And that's what Josiah is weeping for. Josiah is not weeping because the nations around him are looking at him saying, oh, he's a terrible king. Look at the state Israel in. He's not weeping because he's worried about losing Christian points. He's weeping because he's seen how his actions and the actions of the people in his country have put a great distance between him and God. He's weeping because his country have lost that relationship with the God who created them and who desires relationship with them. If we're going to see real change, it doesn't come from surface level. It comes from knowing that actually God loves us. He wants relationship with us. And so our hearts are torn when our actions get in the way of that. And Josiah is exactly that. His heart is torn. He's weeping in the presence of the Lord. And he allows that to lead into action for himself. If we, we're not going to read it, but chapter 23, he basically goes on an absolute mad one. It's really, it's really impressive. He, he essentially just tears down everything in the country that isn't going to glorify God. All the um, places where they worshipped idols, tore them down. All the high places, tore them down. All the people that were helping people worship other gods, killed. All the places, um, all the, the gold calves, all the statues they've made of other gods, gone, killed them all. And actually, if we think about it, this sort of makes sense for ourselves, right? That if you're trying to change your diet, you're trying to be healthy eating, you don't leave the Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge ice cream in the freezer, do you? You know that's going to be helpful. That's got to go in the bin. If you're going to actually change something, you've got to get rid of it. And that's what he does. And I'm sure it was pretty costly for the people of Judah this, you know, those statues, that's a lot of gold to make a cow, I'd imagine. I don't know how much gold goes into a cow. I would imagine it's quite a lot. That's a costly thing. These probably had real sentimental value. These are places where people worshipped. Not God, but there was still an emotional connection there for these people. And yet, they got rid of them all. They sacrificed as much uh, as they could. And that's true for us today. That actually, if we want to see changes in our lives, it's a changed heart, but it also comes from sacrifice. I remember uh, me and Matt Miles at a men's conference about five or six years ago. It's one of those men's conferences, you know, where it's like curry and talk about cars and things like that, manly things. I felt very out of place. But, um, <laughs> and, and the guy speaking was, he was a pretty posh guy, actually. He was kind of a, a posh, slightly older guy. And someone asked him about um, temptation. How do you avoid temptation, a.k.a. porn? And... Um, and he said, um, well, you know, there's, there'll be times when I'll, I'll, be, I'll be watching television and a scantily clad lady will appear on the TV and I'll get up out of my seat and I'll walk out of the room and I'll say, I do not need this in my life. And, uh, and ever since, six years now, me and Matt, whenever you walk down the high street and there's an advert of a lady in bikini or whatever, me and Matt will turn to you and say, I do not need this in my life. <laughs> um, and it's, it's kind of stupid. It's over the top. We laugh at him for saying it, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, you can never watch Game of Thrones again, or you have to get up and walk out every time there's a scene. Um, but 
there's an element of truth to that, a real element of truth to that, that actually there are things in our lives that we do not need in our lives. There are things that we need to sacrifice. There are things that are going to impede our ability to make lasting change. If you want to see your relationship with God improved in your quiet time in the morning, you're probably going to need to sacrifice some sleep. Or more seriously, maybe you need to sacrifice your smartphone because you know that that's the thing that is the gateway to porn for you. Maybe you need to spend less time with the friends who you know are a bad influence on you and you know when you hang out with them, you become a person that you don't like. What is it in your life that, that you need to sacrifice? What is it in your life that is stopping you from making and seeing lasting change? Josiah was ruthless. Even though it cost a lot, he made the sacrifice. And so we're probably thinking at this point, um, I read this, and um, of course I'd read this story many times before, so I know how it ended. I always read Two Kings um, I think this might have been the first time I ever read it. But hey, I read it, so I'm reading along with you guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm excited. Josiah is on a roll. He is making changes. He's the Barack Obama king. He's, he's seeing change happen. And I'm thinking, this is going to end brilliantly, but actually, we read the end of his life, and it's, it's not quite what we hoped it would be. Um, and we read it in 23, chapter 23. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I say my name shall be there. This isn't the ideal ending. This isn't what it was all the crescendo is building up to. Josiah makes these amazing changes. He sees incredible reform happen, and then it kind of ends like, yeah, the nation is still going down. Um, And sure enough, like 22 years after Josiah dies, Jerusalem is destroyed, and uh, Judah, just as Israel in the north, um, is taken into exile. Things don't end well, and all these changes, all this hard work, all this effort from Josiah and what happens, not a lot really changes, if we're honest. It's kind of, it's a bit of a, a depressing end. Um, and so you're probably wondering, where is, where's the good news at the end of this story? Where's the get up and go at the end? And I think we do actually get that. But it doesn't come at the end of the story. It comes earlier in chapter 22 in the, the, the speech we read earlier when the prophet is speaking to Josiah. If we go back to that, Back in chapter 22, it says this, Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, there become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you'll be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answers back to the king. What we see in this is, although it's not the salvation of Israel, and it's not um, everything that we perhaps hoped it would be, there's real hope here. And there's a message of hope for us, because 
God says to Josiah, because you have a responsive heart, because you humbled yourself, I have heard you. I have seen you. And he makes this promise at the end. He says, I'll gather you to your ancestors and you'll be buried in peace. You won't see the destruction that's to come. I will give you peace at the end of your life. And although this is only a small promise just to Josiah, it's actually a bigger promise of something to come for us. This is like a, a teaser, a trailer for when Jesus comes hundreds of years down the line. And Jesus has the same message in many ways. Just as, as God said to Josiah through the prophet, he said, the sins of Manasseh are too great. The sins of your ancestors are too great. The power of evil in your country, in your life, is too great for you. No matter what, what you do, Josiah played it perfectly. He did everything he could, and yet it still wasn't enough. Why? Because the power of sin was too high. The things that Manasseh and people before had done were too great. And Jesus comes and he says the same thing to the people in that day. He says, you can't do it on your own. All these people in Jesus' day running around trying to find the answers for themselves, trying to make as many changes as they could until they found that, that formula that got them right with God. And Jesus says, you can't do it because the power of sin is too great. Because the power of evil is too great. That you can have all the determination, all the willpower, all the grit in the world, but actually the changes you make, they're, they're not enough. And I know for myself, I, I, I know this to be true. I know that I don't have the willpower. I know that I can't just grit my teeth and everything works out fine. I know that the power of sin in my life is too strong for me. But Jesus says the same thing to us that God says to Josiah. God says to Josiah, because you humbled yourself, because you have a responsive heart, I have seen you. And there is mercy and there is grace and there is peace for you. This is what Jesus says to us today. He says, I see your, your humble heart. I see that you are responsive to my love. And I say there is mercy, there is grace, and there is peace for you. That actually, I know you're trying to make changes. I know you're trying to do the best thing. But know that there is power. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That my grace is sufficient for you. This is so, so important. And this is why it's the, the third and most important thing when I say, how do we make lasting change? Yes, we do our best to, uh, to have a changed heart. We allow ourselves to, to love the things that God loves, to be, to be hurt when we come in the way of relationship with him. And yes, we sacrifice what it takes to see those changes happen. But the, the main thing, if you take nothing else from the talk, this is it. The primary thing that brings change in our life the only thing that can bring change, change in our life is Jesus. The love, the grace of Jesus. The power of sin is too great for Josiah. And I know that the power of sin in my life is too great. I know that I get it wrong. And actually someone here, I know you really need to hear this. Because you've been gritting your teeth trying to make changes. You've been gritting your teeth trying to do it with willpower alone. There'll be people here today who you've been addicted to porn for 10 years and nothing seems to change. There'll be people here that you've been trying to make the same little change in your life and it's become all-consuming because you know that your willpower alone just can't do it. But Jesus says, that's not the way it's meant to be. I don't need these big performances. I don't need to see you tearing your clothes open. What I need to see 
is a humble and responsive heart. I love the way it says it in, um, in Psalm 51. And I'll finish with this. In the message, it says this. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lies, ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Heart-shattered lives that are ready for love, that are, that are humble, that are responsive to God. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. This is how we see real change in our lives. Yes, we, we read the Bible and we allow our friends to call us out when we're getting it wrong. Yes, we allow our hearts to be torn for the things that separate us from God. And we sacrifice everything it takes. But what it really comes down to is this. It's not about flawless performance. It's not about going through the motions, trying to make the changes. It's when we come to God and say, I, my heart is shattered but it's responsive, it's humble. And that's when his love comes. That's when his power is made perfect in weakness. That's when we see lasting change. The big idea this week to finish off with is this. We recognize our need for change from reading the Bible and being accountable to others. We make these changes through a changed heart, sacrifice, and above all else, the grace of Jesus. What we're going to do now is we're going to have a time to, to respond. I know there's been some similar themes this week to last week, and it might feel like being a little a peppered a bit, but I, I do think that God wants us to respond to this. Um, so the band are going to come back up, um, and we're going to go into the time of worship, but I'm going to pray for us. And I'd love it if, if we could stand together, if that's okay. If you're able to stand, and just as a solidarity with each other, and actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I know there are people here who you're trying to make changes, that you want to see situations in your life change and improve. Maybe there are situations you don't even feel like you've got any control over. And you're gritting your teeth, and you're trying to dig through it. And God says, come, humble yourself. If your heart is shattered, I'm here with my love. If that's you, and you know that you just need to receive a bit of grace from Jesus, that you need his power in your weakness, then as I'm praying, um, maybe just hold your hands out as a sign of just receiving that from God. And then we'll go into a time of worship. Yeah, Lord, I thank you so much that, um, that you call us to be the best people we can be. That you love us as, as we are, but you, you also want us to move forward, to, to grow, to change, to look more like you. God, I pray that by your spirit we would have the power um, to see real change in our lives. But above all else, God, I pray that your grace and your love and your mercy would just be so apparent to us now. And Holy Spirit, we just ask, would you come and fill each and every one of us? <laughs>